church. Um, today's text is from Isaiah 42. Again, we've got uh, one more week of this passage after today. Um, this is in your bulletin. It's going to be behind me on the screen if you're following us online. Um, hello. And uh, this should show up on your screen as well. <clears throat> Listen to the word of God. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God. God's glory is more important than the survival of this church. God's glory is more important than the forgiveness of your sins. God's glory is more important than your welfare and comfort. God's glory is more important than your mental health. God's glory is more important than your preferences and your rights and your desires. God's glory is more important than the economic systems and political structures of this world. God's glory is more important than your children or your spouse or your friends. And if these things are true, this is what it means. That God cares more about his own glory than he cares about anything else. God cares more about his own glory than he cares about anything else, including you or me. And that truth is the only hope for us. This truth is the only hope for us as individuals and for us as a church. And I suspect this might be a little bit jarring to some of us. And I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm trying to be biblical. And my goal in the next few moments is for us to see why this is the case. I want us to see through scripture that this is true. And my hope is that today's text will cause us to love the glory of God, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit closer to how God loves his own glory. And that as we're informed by this text, that we may even be a bit transformed and this church will become a little more the church that God wants us to be. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, we've been going through the same nine verses of Isaiah 42 for the past month. And it speaks of this servant Jesus. That's the whole point. Jesus, the servant who bends down low to care for the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick. This is us. This is our church right now. And today we're going to focus on verse 8. And it says, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And this is 
the main thing. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. We're going to focus on this verse, but the entire passage plays into our understanding of it. So, if you might remember, uh, Isaiah 42 comes on the heels of Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 sets a context for our understanding of this chapter that we're looking at today. Uh, Isaiah 41, it asks the people to consider their idols. It tells the people that are listening that they are delusions. It's to their detriment that they would give their attention to these idols. The people looked to the idols to meet their needs, but they found out that these idols, they could not meet their needs. They were worthless. God shows them that he is what the idols can never be. So there is this contrast between the idols, these worthless idols, and the servant in our passage in 42. So this is uh, the difference between the idols and the servants. This is the difference between what God speaks of in Chapter 41, and God himself. Idols demand your service, and you will get nothing in return. The God in today's passage serves you, and you get everything based on what he has done for you. This is the difference. And because I think a lot of us have grown up either in the church or we spent time in the church and we hear, you know, religious stuff. Um, we get kind of used to the message that we hear. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I kind of preach the same thing every single week, I hope. Um, I don't really have anything novel or original to say. Um, and sometimes we might get used to it. Our ears become dull to it. But if you think long enough about this truth, That the servant Jesus, he serves us, that he loves us, all the things he does for our our good. If you think about it long enough, you should be a little bit perturbed. You should be a little bit unsettled because this is an outrageous thing. That he does not require anything of us other than admitting our need and turning away from the very things that promise us life but don't give us life. He works for our good, he works on our behalf, and he loves us. And this is the Christian faith. If this is difficult for you to wrap your head around, then welcome to the story of the Bible. And if it's become trite and boring to you as it has become to me, sometimes, then ask the Spirit of God to make this truth beautiful again to you. If that's you... You don't need to learn more about Jesus today. You need the Spirit of God to open your eyes again to his beauty. This is not something that I can do. I cannot open your eyes to the beauty of Jesus. But the Spirit can. So what I want to do is to show you today from the scriptures what it means for God to receive all the glory in our lives. For God to receive all the glory at Indelible Grace Church. And... To do that, uh, I I don't have uh, the points in the bulletin for you today, but I want us to answer three questions. Number one, what does it mean for God to receive all the glory? The second question, how is God's concern for his own glory the basis of our hope? And number three, how will we glorify God in these coming days as a church? So this first question, what does it mean for God to receive glory? Um, The first thing I want to do kind of to get us to kind of understand... um, 
get an understanding before we answer this question is I want us to think about what glory is. I want to define glory. So the Hebrew word for glory is kabod, kapod, which means weight. Um, the thing that makes someone or something significant, that is their glory. The full weight of who they are, this is their glory. So you, you might remember the Olympics a while back. Um, when the Olympians, when they stood on the podium, the full weight of all the talents was made known. So imagine there was a skier or I don't know, the, the only athlete that comes to mind right now is like Chloe Kim, the, the snowboarder. So um, I think she did pretty well. Um, the full weight of her talents on the podium, all the years of training, all the sacrifices that she and her family made, the pride of her country, the admiration of her fans, the respect of her competitors, all these things fell on her when she was on the podium. And when that gold medal is placed around her neck, the full weight of who she is as an athlete is upon her in this moment. That is the weightiness, weightiness upon her. She's recognized for who she is as an athlete. And that is glory. That's glory. And God's glory in this passage, God's glory is the essence of who he is. It's the weight of everything that he is upon him. And this is why we see the self-reference in verses 6 and 8. Um, if you look at the text, it says, verse 6 and verse 8, the same phrase. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. If we look at the Hebrew, this is the same phrase that we see in Exodus 3 where uh, God says, I am. This is the sacred name of God. It doesn't. It's not, I, I have been. It's not, I will be. Simply, I I am, not I am, fill in the blank with, a, with an adjective, it's not I am good, it's not I am righteous, it's not I am loving, God is all these things, but even more foundational is the fact that God simply is, that he exists as himself with no point of reference. Whenever we describe anyone or anything, there needs to be a point of reference. When we say that someone is kind, it's because there is such a thing as kindness that existed before that person existed. And we've experienced kindness, so we know a bit about what it's like. But again, there has to be a point of reference whenever we refer to someone. When we say that something is beautiful, it's because we understand what beauty is. We can subjectively say that we find something beautiful. But beauty has existed before that thing existed. We experience beauty. And then we can place a descriptor on that object when we say that thing is beautiful. But again, there has to be a point of reference. Everything, everyone has a point of reference. Nothing exists by itself. Except God. God has no point of reference. He simply is. And this is the basis of God's glory. The weight of all that God is, is found upon, is found in himself. The opinions of people do not make him any more or less what he already is. This is a bit difficult to wrap our heads around. That something can exist all on its own. Without any reference points, God is, and we get to see the glory of God. 
The glory of God is the expression of everything that he is. He does all things well because he's perfect. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, James. God gives because he is generous. God acts in history because he is wise. He creates and he recreates because he is powerful. God loves because he is love. All these things are found in himself. This is the glory of God. And that's what it means when the Bible says that the earth is full of his glory. John Calvin, he says that the universe is the theater in which the glory of God is made known. All of creation speaks of God's character. Everything that is beautiful and good and true, that is God's glory made known to us. And God's glory is there. God is glorious regardless of whether or not we're paying attention. The whole world gives glory to God. Anything that contains goodness and beauty and truth. These things reverberate with His glory. Think about music that you enjoy. Think about relationships, friendships. There's so much goodness in those things. Think about nature. Think about the food that you enjoy. For me, it's Taco Bell. When I eat Taco Bell, I think God is good. (laughs) The world reverberates with the glory of God. And here, when in in this passage, verse 8, when God says he will not give his glory to another, he's saying that he will not allow anyone or anything else to get the glory, that no one else and nothing else can get the credit for the good and beauty and truth that exists. Because nothing else can give what he gives. No one else can act like God acts. No one else does things with wisdom and foresight. Everything that God does takes the entire scope of existence and history into consideration. And everything will ultimately work together for good. Because only God knows all things. And only God is all wise. Therefore, he needs to receive all the glory. And again, let me refer to Isaiah 41. In the book of Isaiah, the idols, they're frequently frequently called worthless. And they're called worthless because they cannot do what God does. To put it very crassly, they don't have the same value as God. But even deeper than that, the idols have no glory of their own. They are not self-existent like God is. They depend on the needs and desires and humans' To have any worth. Let me say that again. Anything that you think of. That you want. It only has value. Because you value it. If you did not want it. If no one else wanted it. What would that be? It would be worthless. That means that all idols are dependent. On the desires that we have. The thing that you give your attention to, that person or that job or that house or that political ideology or, dare I say, even the church, only has any power over you because you have needs and desires. And if you did not exist, if you did not have these desires, all these things are worthless. They literally have no value. Now, do you see why God puts chapter 41 in front of chapter 42? Consider the idols, and then now consider me. 
I deserve all the glory. God does not depend on anyone or anything to be worthy or valuable. God has no needs, and that's why he deserves all the glory. Idols are deficient. They cannot give us what we need. They cannot do for us what we want without first draining us of life. Idols always ultimately drain you and kill you. But God does not need us to do anything before he serves us and loves us. Let me say that again. And I'm going to say it again later on in this message. God does not need you to do anything before he serves you and before he loves you. That is the glory of God. That he can act independent of the rest of creation. God loves his glory because there is nothing else that's worthy of his love. The glory of anything else is fleeting and dim, but the glory of God, this fills the earth. This fills the universe, and it will for all eternity. And this is why God cares about his glory, because his glory is the only thing that will last. So now, let's, let's think about how God's concern for his own glory is the basis of our hope We have hope, not because we're optimists. We have hope not because we're thinking this person that's doing this thing in the White House or this person that's doing this thing in the church, they can do stuff that I want them to do. No, your hope is not there. The hope that you have is based on the fact that God loves his own glory. And this is the premise. Everything is for his glory. You exist for his glory. Listen to Isaiah 43. I'm going to go through a few passages from the Bible now. Listen to Isaiah 43, verses 5 through 7. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This passage in Isaiah 43 is referring to what God did to the Israel did for the Israelites when he called them out of Egypt. He called them from the east and to the west. He rescued them from slavery. He called them from afar. And why? Because these people were created for his glory. The reason you exist is because God loves his glory. And then look at Psalm 106. Listen to me read Psalm 106. It tells us that God saves his people for his name's sake. I'm going to read Psalm 106, verses 6 through 8. Both we and our fathers have sinned. Speaking of the people of God in the Old Testament. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. And listen to this. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And if you read through Psalm 106, you'll see that it's a long list of things that the Israelites did to deserve God's anger and wrath. But over and over again in this psalm, they're reminded that God remains true to the covenant that he made with them. 
Why did he do that? Not because they deserved it. Not because man could find favor with God by keeping the, the rules. But because God is God. It was for the sake of his name and his reputation that God rescued the people from Egypt. He saved them for his name's sake. And why? That they might make known his mighty power. Not just that they would know his mighty power, but that they would tell the world that God is powerful. The basis of their hope, the basis of their life, was that God loved his own glory. And now listen to what God says in Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. For my name's sake, there it is again, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake. It's repeated twice in this passage. I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Again, speaking to the people of God, God says this, that despite your sin, I have saved you. I will continue to save you because I will not share my glory with anyone else. My glory I will not give to another. And then in the, in the New Testament, Romans 15, for the sake of his name, Christ is sent to seal the promises that God made to the patriarchs in the Old Testament. Listen to Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. There is a long thread running from the Old Testament to the New Testament that God makes promises to his people and that the people break their promises to God. And yet God rescues them and rescues them and rescues them and rescues them to show them that he is God, that he is good and righteous. And the key in Romans 15 is that Jesus became a servant to show us that God really is who he says he is. God loves us and he serves us and he saves us because he cares not ultimately about you, You are not the center of the universe. You're not the most important person in the universe. God loves and serves us and saves us because he cares about his name. He cares about his reputation. And this is the key truth here. That the basis of our hope is God's desire for his glory. We have to understand that. If we are more important than the glory of God, then this church should not exist. You should be sleeping in on Sundays. You should be taking your kids to sports leagues on Sunday mornings. This leads us to our second passage today. Look, Read Romans 3, and I'm going to take this text and show us um, how do we reconcile the fact that God is love and that sinners are sinners, and that we can still know God. Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is in your bulletin, by the way. Um, and, are set, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, in this passage, we're being told that God does what he does for his own name's sake. This passage in Romans 3 solves a big problem. How could God be loving and forgiving toward men and women who dishonor him? How can he be this? In the Old Testament, God is good and kind and forgiving to people. Even though they constantly rebel against him, even though they constantly disobey him and forget him, and still God loves them. Listen to Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. This implies that there is a consequence to our sins. That there is a payment that we need to pay according to our iniquities. This verse is such a beautiful verse. And this verse is true. That God does not deal with us according to our sins. But this is a really big problem. Because what it does say is that God forgives people. And at the same time, we can sin and dishonor him with no consequence. It's a big problem if God can just forgive you and not do anything about your sin. Um, We all heard about what happened last week in uh, Illinois. The the shootings, uh, July 4th, and um, a number of people died. And the suspect was taken into custody. And you can imagine this, that if he goes to court and the judge tells this guy, I'm feeling like a nice guy today, and if you promise not to kill more people, then I'll let you go. Fully forgiven. You're free to go. What if the judge did that? And what would it say about the family's respect and love for the people they lost if they let the judge get away with that? First off, everyone would be completely outraged. It would say that this judge is not a good judge. It would say that the people that lost their lives weren't worthy of justice. And that the families of the victims didn't really love them because they just let it happen. Now apply this to what God does for us. We have sinned. We continue to sin. And yet God forgives us over and over and over. And do you see that this is a problem if God lets sinners get away with their sins? Because what would it say about God if they could just get off scot-free? It would say that God's glory is not all that valuable. It would show us that God is not really righteous, that God is okay with injustice. And yet we have this passage that tells us, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. This is a problem if you care about the glory of God, because God is not a glorious God. If He lets His reputation and His name and His righteousness and His justice fall by the wayside. 
God cannot be just and merciful at the same time. He cannot simply forgive and forget. His name has been dishonored by our sin. That's the problem here. And Romans 3 is the solution to their problem. Romans 3 presents to us the servant that's spoken of in Isaiah 42. The cross is a solution to this problem that God loves sinners. It says that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we are justified through redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God gives us Jesus as a propitiation. God's righteousness is exercised. Our sins can be passed over. And this can show us that the right show us the righteousness of God, that He might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Pay attention to that phrase, the just and the justifier. That is the good news. The gospel is given to us so that we can live and so that God can still be God. In his divine forbearance, he, for, he passed over former sins, but he has always been righteous. We're told that Jesus is our propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice made to avert the wrath and anger and eternal judgments that we deserve The cross is a declaration of our sin. It's deserving of his anger and wrath and eternal judgment. The cross is a declaration of God's righteousness. God must act justly and someone had to die. And that was the servant in Isaiah 42. And the cross is also a declaration ultimately of God's love. The cross is a declaration of God's deep, deep abiding, never-ending, tender, affectionate love for you. And if you turn away from the worthless idols and turn to Jesus and place all your trust and faith and confidence in him, then you will be saved. This solves our problem. Romans 3, that God loves you. He also loves his glory. And this is the key So God says, give me all the glory because I deserve it. And I want to answer a quick question that might come up when I say these things. That God says he deserves all the glory. Is it egotistical of God to ask us, to demand us to worship him? To demand us in all of the world to give him glory? And my answer is no. When God says he will not share his glory with another, he's saying that he deserves all the glory because only he has done anything that deserves any recognition. And when he tells us to worship him, he's saying, I do not want you to settle for anything less than me. If you settle for anything else, that person or that thing or that concept or idea, you will die if you serve those things, if you settle for these things. But when he tells us to worship him, he's saying, do not settle for anything. I am the best thing in the world. And by worshiping me, you get to taste and see and experience my goodness and my love. We were created for his glory, Isaiah 43. 
It's only in God that we'll find goodness and truth and life that lasts. It's for our good that God tells us to worship him. So indelible grace church, may we be a people, a covenant people who seek to know God, who love his glory, who understands. Now let me end with this final question. How can we be a church that glorifies God? We need to be a church that's anchored in the glory of God. That we care about the glory of God more than we care about the praise of men. That we care about the glory of God more than we care about our convenience. That we care more about the glory of God than we care about indelible Christ church. If our purpose as human beings is to glorify God, then it's going to be reflected in the way that we do church, or it should be at least. If we care about the glory of God, then our healing will be a testament to the healing power of Jesus. The healing of our souls as individuals, the healing of this church as we make our way out of the wreckage of this past season. Can we glorify God for that? Can we say that only God has done these things? If we care about the glory of God, then we will view our flaws not as fatal, but as opportunities for God to work for his strength to be made known in our weakness. And let me tell you, we have a lot of flaws. Example number one is the guy in front of you. We are not as strong as we think we are, and this is a really good thing, because it means that our weakness is an occasion for the power of God to be made known. We should be glad that we have deficiencies and flaws Because God will make known his goodness and his power in our weaknesses. If we care about the glory of God, then any signs of life in this church should be fanned and encouraged. It tells us in this passage, Isaiah 42, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. And can we be an example like Jesus? This is not a time for us to pick at each other and criticize each other right now. There is a time and place for us to pick at each other and criticize each other. In church, I will say that. But not right now. Because what are we? We're a faintly burning wick. We are so weak right now. But right now, it's a time for us to notice the evidences of God's grace in this church and in our CGs, our community groups, and in each other's lives and praising God for it. And encouraging these tiny flames of faith to grow brighter to the glory of God. If you look at your brothers and sisters in this church and you see something good happening in them, then point it out and tell them, this is evidence of God's glory being made known in your life. Not just other people, but in yourself. Do you have that little bit of faith Do you have that little bit of love for Christ? Do you have that little bit of desire for God to be glorified in your life? Then you need to protect that little bit. You need to blow into it. You need Jesus to speak life into it. Do not despise the small things if you care about the glory of God. If we care about the glory of God, then we'll look to Jesus as a Lord to obey, as a Savior to follow, as a King to worship, as a Shepherd to be cared by. 
we cannot look to Jesus as an abstract idea to make ourselves feel better or as an endorsee of our political causes or as just a name that we speak. If we love the glory of God, if we want the glory of God to be made known in this church, then we need to look at Jesus as he is. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And then finally, what will it mean for indelible Grace Church on a practical level to give glory to God and God alone? The first thing we need to do is we need to preach the gospel. You should be hearing the gospel every single week from the pulpit. The gospel should be spoken here, not my stupid opinions about things. I've got a lot of stupid opinions. They don't really count for much. The gospel must be preached. The word of God must be preached. The gospel has to be the basis of everything that we do as a church. The children's ministry, the mercy ministry, the women's ministry, the men's ministry, if we have one one day, the music ministry, AV, pulpit, what the elders do, what you guys do in your small groups. The gospel has to be the basis We need to live out the gospel in front of each other. That means we forgive. We're gracious to each other. We give generously of our time and our our energy to each other for the glory of God. We need to pray and say, God, I'm praying because I don't know how to solve this problem. I don't have the power to do what I'm being asked to do. We need to read the scriptures. The scriptures are the breath of God. We need to fellowship with each other. We need to spend time with each other. And we need to rely on the Spirit of God if we want to glorify God. I was thinking about this on the way over here. Um, We have lost an awesome youth pastor when he resigned a few months ago. That sucked. We lost one of the best preachers that I've ever heard a month ago. And the pastor you're stuck with now, I don't have all that much to give you. I'm aware of some of my deficiencies and limitations. Other people could tell you I have a lot more than what I'm aware of. We're down people, we're down leaders. But what do we have? And this is the good news. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit. We have each other. And may I never get any glory. May the elders never get any glory. May your small group leaders never get any glory. May Indelible Grace Church, the name of IGC, never get any glory. May God get all the glory in this church. May it be true of us. Will you pray with me? Father, we are uh, nothing. We're we're worms before you. We should be crawling on the ground. Um, We belong in the dirt. And yet you dignify us. You love us. You care for us. 
And God, I pray that you would use us for your glory. I pray that this church, long after it exists, long after it stops existing, whether it be a year from now or 30 years from now, that the reverberations of what we do in these days would still remain. Because we are doing everything in this church for your glory. Uh, God, I pray that you would make it true. Make it true here in this church. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our servants. Amen.